Hi, and thanks for tuning in to Speak Up, Speech Pathology Australia's podcast. Each week, we feature an interesting, thought-provoking and clinically relevant conversation to enhance your speech pathology practice. Let's hear from this week's contributors. Hi, it's Annika, and I'm coming to you from the outer eastern suburbs of Melbourne, which I gratefully acknowledge are the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm really excited today to be chatting to a panel of four very clever speech pathologists. Not only have these speech pathologists endured their speech pathology training, which, let's be honest, was not an easy ride, they have also trained in another profession, which to me is beyond impressive. Robin Fernandez-Backer currently works in her own private practice called Music Within in Crow's Nest, New South Wales. She is a dual qualified speech pathologist and registered music therapist. Robin is very passionate about combining both areas of music and communication within a neurodiversity affirming and strength-based approach. Hello and welcome, Robin. Thanks, Annika. I'm so pleased to be with you from the lands of the Camaragal people today. And Felicity Conlon is a school-based speech pathologist at Penley and Essendon Grammar School in Melbourne. She is also a primary school teacher and hopes that speech pathology and primary teaching might become a combined degree in the future, which would be amazing. Thank you for being here, Felicity. Thanks for having me, Annika. I'm tuning in from the lands of the Wurundjeri. And Kate Broderick works at Spot Therapy Hub, a neuro-affirming airway-focused private practice that has three clinics in Sydney, part of which supports families Australia-wide via telehealth. She is a speech pathologist, an occupational therapist, and a mum of four kids, which is code for busy, let's be honest. Hi, Kate. (laughs) Hi, Annika. Thanks so much for having me. And I'd also like to pay my respects to the Bidjigal and Gadigal peoples of the Eora Nation, um, the lands on which I'm sitting and working and chatting to you today. Beautiful. Natalie Manley runs Capable Kids, a multidisciplinary paediatric private practice in Sydney. She is a speech pathologist and registered psychologist. She is passionate about connecting with children of all neurotypes and giving them the skills to reach their goals and thrive. Hi, Natalie. Hi, thanks for having me. Um, I'm coming to you from the Darrell lands um, of the Eora Nation. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much to you all for joining me today. I'm really excited to be hosting this panel discussion with you all. And I'm going to direct my first question to you, Robin, if that's okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm just really interested um, in your journey to becoming dual qualified. Sure. So um, I actually knew since I was in high school that I wanted to be both a speech pathologist and a music therapist. And it was really just a matter of which one do I do first. So speech pathology came first and I did that, um, did the master's in speech pathology and then worked as a speech pathologist for a few years until I was ready to go back to uni, uh, do another master's um, in music therapy and integrate that now finally where I am now. Yeah. So how easy or hard was it Robin to be studying whilst working as a speech pathologist at the same time? Good question I think um, for me I've always been a busy person and I like to do 120 things (laughs) all at once so it wasn't easy but it it fit in really nicely at the same time I did 
cut down on, I was working full time at that point, so I did cut down to part time. So my workplace was really accommodating for that. And my colleagues and my teachers at the university were just so supportive um, in helping me get through it all. And um, it was just such a welcoming environment and I would never look back. <laughs> oh, well done. Felicity, I'm fascinated in your journey. So you're a speech pathologist and a teacher. What came first and what did your journey look like? Um, So when I graduated from high school, I knew I wanted to work with children and I also had a real love of foreign languages. Um, So I actually got into a Bachelor of Education primary and a diploma in modern languages in French um, at Melbourne Uni. And I studied that um, for five years, Um, but right in the middle of my degree, one of my close friends actually tragically suffered a brain aneurysm. And so being a part of her rehab um, introduced me to the speech pathology world. And I guess that changed the direction of my career. Um, So I ended up actually finishing my teaching degree And I worked as a grade five teacher for only a year. And then I decided to do the master's in speech pathology at La Trobe. And um, yeah, I think I finished that about 11 years ago. So I've just been working as both a speechy and a teacher in a school. Oh, that is so fascinating. I'm so interested. What does your your job look like? I'm obviously a speech pathologist that works in a school, but what does a speech pathologist teacher job look like in a school? This is a good question because a lot of people ask me, are you more of a speechy or are you more of a teacher? Mm. And I guess um, it depends what school you work in and what the leadership want. Um, So at my school, I'm more of a speech pathologist than a teacher. Mm -hmm. Um, But I guess I do small teacher things like I take full class social skills groups and I do, of course, yard duty. And sometimes I go on excursions. So it's hard to explain what it looks like because it is a bit, it, it changes every year. Mm, I can I hear what you say though so you've got some of those responsibilities that come under being a teaching staff in addition to the support staff role by the sounds of it yeah that's right yeah Kate what about you so you're an OT and a speechy which is an awesome combination what did your journey look like Well, I first trained as an occupational therapist and I absolutely loved the degree and I left uni really excited to just launch into my career as an occupational therapist. I had no inkling at that time that my career would end up being what I think is probably quite unique. Very (laughs) unique. way that that I ended up following. But it was about six months after finishing uni that I basically was missing study. And so I had a hunt around to see what programs were available um, for a mid-year intake. And one of those was the Bachelor of Speech and Hearing Sciences at Macquarie Uni. So I signed up for that. And one of the first subjects that I did was, you know, Ling 101, which is really just a taster of lots of different aspects of linguistics. And it just completely ignited my passion for wanting to learn more about communication and supporting my clients more with communication as a way of caring for their well-being and supporting their self-advocacy. I had some really confronting lectures and tutorials in that time where I had lecturers 
flat out laugh at me and the thinking that, for example, visual memory for shapes was actually correlated with a child's ability to remember letters and sounds. And so whilst that sounds pretty harsh, it was actually formative and I think quite a nice experience for me to have had early in my career because it really pushed me to become such a critical thinker and Mm. so reflective and to always feel empowered to think about whether or not what I'd learned at uni or through my clinical mentors was actually the thing that I believed was right and was like you know and sort of to I suppose constantly be expecting to evolve so I think 20 years later I'm a therapist who's really always open to the possibility that my, you know, clinical practices, my beliefs and my understanding of what is best practice is, is you know, going to change. And I always think, who knows where I'm going to be in six months time with this. Um, so the master's program was very new. Um, and basically, as soon as I heard about the Speech Path Master's, Uh, It wasn't at all by design. It was probably more of just an impulsive choice of like, wow, that sounds great. Let me sign up to that. Um, It was, again, just very much driven by my thirst for learning and (laughs) wanting to know more about our communication and feeding. So that was where the decision-making process Mm. (laughs) It wasn't like Robin who had this sense of perhaps wanting to pursue too. Yeah, early on. And were you working then as an OT and studying or did you have to put your OT work on hold to study? So I pretty much worked seven days a week studying and juggling uh, private clients and contractor work. I wouldn't go around telling everybody else to do this, but as Robin sort of touched on, I'm a you know, I'm a busy person and it was the right thing for me. I would see clients in the morning, like 7 a.m. sessions, go to campus, study, maybe see other clients after study. Or some evenings I even returned to campus for night lectures because I still was finishing off the bachelor's one subject at a time. Wow. Uh, and so, yeah, it was really a, a busy time, but I didn't have kids and family at that stage and so I could do it. Awesome. Mm. Natalie, so you are a speechy and a registered psychologist and I'm really fascinated about your journey. Well, my journey is has similar threads to everyone else in that I'm busy and I love studying and I have a thirst for knowledge. Um, I was a speechy first. I studied at Sydney University um, and started my career with New South Wales Health. Mm -hmm. Um, I then had a surprise baby, um, which... (laughs) um, Sometimes are. (laughs) Yeah, which... um, started my private practice career um, and I built up my private practice over time um, with a real passion for seeing the tricky kids that, you know, were not the ones who'd sit at the table or, you know, more. um, And it ended up being that I saw a lot of autistic children um, who were significantly impacted by um, their challenges. And I just continued to build on that. Um, I sign up, you know, sign up for every um, professional development still um, I can get my hands on. Um, and then I went back to health. Um, a job in the um, their diagnostic and assessment team came up, which was always a passion of mine. Um, so I was part of an amazing team of paediatrician, psychologist. Um, there was myself as a speechy. There was an OT and a physio. Um, and a social worker, and we were doing some really fantastic work. Unfortunately, the team changed structure um, and I developed all these skills that I couldn't use anymore. So out of 
frustration and I'll show you, I signed <laughs> I signed up to psychology. Um, unfortunately, it was over 10 years after I did my speech pathology degree, so nothing counted. Oh. I had to go back and do the equivalent of an undergrad psych degree and it's been a really long process. So um, to become a psychologist, you've got to do six years of study. So mm. I did my graduate diploma in psychology, which was the equivalent of my um, psych majors. Then I did um, an honours degree um, and a thesis. Um, and then when my, uh, then I had another baby. And um, when he was four months old, I decided that I'd apply for some masters um, of clinical psychology positions, um, which are incredibly hard to get. And I got offered um, a place in the Masters of Clinical Psychology at ACU in Strathfield. Um, which they were amazing, um, all whilst running my growing private practice, which has <laughs> multiple sites and 15 staff and multiple different, you know, we have OTs, we have speeches um, and, you know, other different professions at different times. So it was very busy, but um, it was great. And then, yeah, finally got my psychology registration and here I am doing both. Wow. I'm certainly hearing themes from all of you of being incredibly driven and people that thrive on busyness, <laughs> which is amazing. Now, I'm wondering, Felicity, are there any, oh, really, what are the personal and professional benefits for you in terms of being dual qualified? Well, firstly, the obvious one being that I'm highly employable in a mm. Um I guess another one is that Teachers can sometimes presume that speech pathologists are coming from a purely clinical perspective. So I feel having the teacher degree as well enables teachers to, to identify and trust me more. Um, so when I'm giving advice to teachers about how to accommodate certain children in their classroom, it comes from that knowledge base that um, regular speech pathologists don't have. So, for example, how the classroom works, um, how the curriculum is set up and I guess a big one of being dual qualified as a teacher and a speech pathologist is that I understand the big debate of the science of I was reading. going to mention that you would be a precious commodity in this conversation right now yeah it's such an interesting debate Isn't for it? me I really <laughs> understand why um some teachers might go along the balanced literacy mm. approach because that is what they were taught at uni, um, whereas speech pathologists are quick to come in with the um, systematic phonics approach, which obviously I understand is evidence-based. Um, but sometimes I think speech pathologists have to be aware of where the teachers are coming from as well. Um, so it is a big a big debate and it's an mm. interesting one to listen to all the gurus and what they have to say about it. Um, but, yeah, keeps things, things interesting in the school. Yeah, you would have a really unique, balanced perspective on that, which I think is really healthy, definitely. Natalie, what about you? What are the personal and professional benefits to being dual qualified for you? Um, I think... I really notice it in the assessment space, which is part of one of my, like, that's a big passion of mine. Understanding communication, understanding language, understanding, you know, 
what we know about reading, all of that links in beautifully um, with assessment. So if, you know, if I'm doing a, um, a specific learning um, disorder assessment, then I'm able to really like my analysis of what's going on with reading is probably a lot more in depth um, than if I didn't have that speech pathology background. Um, obviously, working um, in the neurodevelopmental um, disorder space, understanding pragmatics and understanding language, even just being able to interpret a little person who might not have clear articulation. Um, mm. Obviously, years of practice in that area means that I understand what maybe some other people don't. Mm. Um, so that's really interesting. I think going back and studying, you know, 15 to 20 years after my first degree really ignited my passion and understanding for what evidence-based practice was, how to critically review what I'm being told, um, but also having that practice experience behind me means that I also have a real understanding for, like, the emerging evidence and, you know, that concept that just because there's not RCTs or, you know, that gold standard evidence mm -hmm. doesn't mean that we discount that because clinical reasoning is also part of that mm -hmm. the triad of what makes good evidence. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. Robin, back to you. What about you? What are your, the benefits to you? You sounded like you had a massive passion for music therapy and speech pathology. So I can imagine there's a lot of personal and professional benefits for you. Yeah. I feel like, um, I guess the biggest personal one is like, now, after doing all my study with that, I, I actually feel complete and I feel um, I'm doing what I really wanted to do. I've like reached where I, I want to be at and how I can help my clients. Um, I feel like I can work on like goals in a much more cohesive way where I can see my clients and see their like strengths and their musical ability. Um, which is inherent in everyone. Um, I think there's often a misconception that um, music therapy is the, for those who are musical, but actually it's for anyone. Um, anyone can engage in music therapy. And so I guess being um, a speechy and a music therapist, I, I really like to look at language goals and target songs, um, engage in lyric substitution, and support the families in being so creative and have fun with music to be that um, that greatest role model as well like in their own home. Um, uh, also, I guess I love sharing information to, to professionals on transdisciplinary knowledge and strategies that can, can support others in their own practice. Um, I love combining things like a, I'm also a keyword sign presenter so I often do workshops and part of that is singing and signing and then adding some creativity to that. So changing the lyrics and um, teaching you vocabulary through science. Um, and then I think maybe a personal benefit for me is that I can get bored. So um, I'm a person who needs variety, novelty, fun and things changing. So. Um, having these two disciplines really just gives me everything I need. Um, my work is, doesn't really feel like work to me. So I think that's a good thing. I enjoy what I do. I love it. Yeah. 
Oh, it sounds like you're such a creative person and this has just tapped right into that for you, which is awesome. What about you, Kate? What are the personal and professional benefits for you? Well, I think professionally the word that comes to mind is holistic Mm. (laughs) Um, and looking at a whole person or a whole child, which I think occupational therapy as a standalone profession is all about holistic assessment and care and looking at total wellbeing and focusing on what is meaningful to a person. And, uh, you know, I talk about that a lot with my team and just generally in my personal life as well. Uh, You know, thinking about your identity is just really sitting at the epicentre of what then is meaningful to you. Uh, So that's the lens at which I come towards my clients and actually also towards my colleagues as well. I want them to be thinking about what is really meaningful and uplifting and, you know, um, bringing them power, you know, and joy in their life so that we can bring that into their work as much as possible. So, yeah, I mean, if I'm meeting a little person who is attending for a speech assessment or a language assessment, obviously I'm going to be noticing things about their overall posture, their muscle tone, the way they move their hands when they're um, focusing on something, whether or not they're, you know, using certain movements while they're focusing, how they're supporting their own regulation um, and just looking at whether or not they've got sensitivities in all the domains in which we know that people can, whether or not that's sensory, motor, you know, language-based, cognitive, social, um, and just really sort of being curious and open to um, gathering more information or looking more carefully at a child from any of those perspectives to try and understand what might be uh, a helpful starting point for supporting that child and family. Um, But, yeah, personally, really, I think I've just got a curiosity curiosity and an interest in other humans and just learning about you know what makes them tick and and their lived experience I think if I retired tomorrow I'd probably still be reading lots of articles and as Natalie said just signing up to a lot of courses (laughs) Um, and you know I do do a bit of teaching now myself and I think that's been an evolution of um you know, that interest as well in just bringing all my knowledge together and meeting with like-minded people who are also passionate about um, considering things from a variety of perspectives. But, you know, again, as Robin said, I just absolutely love my job. Um, Mm. It's very fulfilling. I feel energised and uplifted when I've come to meet new people, heard their story and can start to become a part of their life to develop a plan. And I think, yeah, as you said as well at the start, Annika, I have got a really busy life, but I think what makes my work-life balance achievable is the fact that I love my job and it's really meaningful to me and fulfilling. So um, it's not something that I view as a complete um, sort of sacrifice, I suppose, as time away from my family. It's also something that's very fulfilling for me. Mm, Absolutely. I can definitely hear that in all of you, that that... Our passion that it sparks in your work, having that different lens um, to look at things is is really amazing. Now, I know we kind of touched on that, this next question a little bit in the answers to that one, but Kate, I'm going to throw it back to you. And I'm just wondering, I know you talked just then about the sensory um, elements and your knowledge in that sensory space um, Mm -hmm. that you've obtained from your OT qualification has been really beneficial for your speech pathology work. Are there any other aspects of OT that have just been incredibly beneficial to your speech pathology work? 
So I think now understanding the connection between regulation and communication is mm-hmm. something that is very apparent. And I think a lot of speeches and OTs really understand that. Uh, I think earlier on in my career, uh, as I was saying before, that holistic and real functional approach was something that I did feel was quite unique to my OT identity versus my speech. I think NDIS has actually really caused a shift in that. Uh, You know, I can see that when NDIS was first in its trial phase, we would sometimes see reports for people, you know, maybe in their 50s, uh, you know, learning to count to three and and thinking, oh, you know, I was thinking we have to have a functional goal here. Is it so Mm -hmm. that this person can actually indicate how many cookies they want with a cup of tea or, you know, what's the extension of this goal? How is it meaningful? And I really felt like that was the OT in me. Yeah, that functional um, side of things, definitely. You know, leapt right into NDIS in a, you know, in a positive way and probably started um, off on the foot of sort of maybe understanding what that was all about. But I do feel like just broadly both professions are really you know, there in understanding um, the way that system works and that um, perspective for supporting people with and without disability as well. Mm. Um, but muscle tone is a big thing and I view lower average muscle tone as just usually another expression of neurodivergence. Uh, But I think a lot of speech pathologists perhaps don't have such detailed knowledge in that area or maybe aren't quite as confident to identify lower muscle tone. Um, Mm. And I suppose I see it very much in the orofacial complex as well as the whole body. And so when I am looking at joint hypermobility throughout the whole body, I can feel, yeah, more confident to um, report that to a parent and and think about Mm. how that might be affecting the child and what we could do about it, Uh, whereas speeches might uh, not be looking at, yeah, shoulders, elbows, finger joints and all of that. Absolutely, yeah. Um, So it definitely makes you a better speech pathologist, doesn't it? And I like that word holistic that you mentioned before, like you're just able to look at so many different, uh, so many more elements of a child than what we could through our speech pathology lens alone. If you don't mind me mentioning as well, I will comment that particularly early on in my dual qualification though, I felt quite sensitive about having those two hats and felt that it was very important to make it really explicit to clients because I didn't want to be ambushing them with something or some feedback on a topic that they weren't actually there for and that might take them by surprise. So if they were coming to me for a handwriting assessment because their child had a bad pencil grip and then I was going to introduce this idea of, well, actually feel like maybe we should be looking more closely at your child's language development or that they have a lisp and speech errors, uh, you know, that was also something I didn't want to be... uh, yeah, surprising people with. Now I feel that's just, you know, very, very standard and I don't even think about it. I know everybody who sees me understands that they're meeting a dual qualified therapist and they're actively asking for that because they're expecting to get a really comprehensive, you know, picture and feedback. But uh, I do think it's important to think about that as um, something to uh, communicate to clients, especially before they walk in your door. Awesome. So, Robin, what about you? What does your music therapy bring to your speech pathology work? I know you have touched on it a bit, but what specifically does it bring to your speech pathology work? Yeah, I think um, it's made me much more creative. Like I can think of ways um, to target, say, a specific goals um, outside of the box. So, and making it so much more fun and um so singing songs, making up songs, or um, having 
teaching vocabulary through songs, lyric substitution, creativity, humour um, through songs, um, and having and doing that in a collaborative way as well. Um, I'm also really passionate about AAC um, and integrating that within my clients, but. I think the other area as well, which is really, which I haven't seen much of is songwriting and AAC, which I've started to do. And it's just been so rewarding and so amazing. That um, sounds so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it's been so fun. Like I, 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 with some of my clients, I just think, oh, it's so fun. Like they'll make up a sentence um, for, for their lyrics and I'll put it in a song and they'll use their device. Um, it's it's so fun and I, I want to do more of that. So it's it's so rewarding. I just find so much that can go hand in hand with both, um, whether it's, say, AAC or a little one um, with some language um, delays or even speech goals, um, integrating, say, a bit of pitch and rhythm with drills is so much easier. And so... Um, increases some of the uh, rate of practice. So if I'm practicing um, a specific consonant sound, I will have a little drum and practice rhythms on it to practice. And because it helps with that auditory memory too. So yeah. Oh, wow. Gosh, it does sound like being in your clinic room is just nothing beyond a smile, to be honest. It sounds amazing. Um, Now, Natalie, are you working as a psychologist or as a speech pathologist at the moment or a combination of both both okay beautiful so what do you think your newly acquired um, psychology degree adds to your speech pathology work um I it's been interesting I've just been thinking about that as everyone else has been talking um I think the biggest thing for me is understanding attachment and co-regulation um to support behavioural outcomes. Um, I, as a uni student, you know, was an ABA therapist, have done a lot of that behavioural stuff. Um, No, it's, you know, knew at some level it wasn't the be all and end all. And so as part of what I do as a psychologist, I do a lot of work around parenting um, and consultation around tricky behaviours when things aren't going right. My own cantankerous three-year-old helps me um, (laughs) perfect that on a daily basis. But I think just understanding the role of co-regulation as the path to regulation um, and emotional regulation um, and also understanding the impact of brain-based domains on on behaviour and how kids interact with the world around them. I've been really lucky to work with a psychologist, Vanessa Spiller, who um, is one of my um, supervisors in the clinical registrar program. And she is a um, FASD specialist and she works a lot around these brain-based domains and understanding the different domains of a child's development to then be able to help them thrive and being able to um, look at like what we need to adjust environmentally what we need to adjust with our expectations and also teaching the skills and so I think just having that understanding of what's going on neurologically um, and psychologically for a child to get them to achieve their goals um, is has been 
super exciting and um, really informative for me because sometimes more often than not, actually, you get children who sitting at the table and, you know, engaging in therapy or sitting in the classroom and engaging in education is really hard. Um, And I'm a big fan of Dr. Um, Ross Green and um, that phrase, kids do well if they can. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think my psych studies have really helped me um, develop a framework with which to think about that more purposefully and analyse that. Mm, Amazing. So, Felicity, I know you've touched on some of the different things you do as a speech pathologist in a school versus, um, I guess, what a traditional speech pathology role in a school might look like, such as running whole class um, programs, etc. Is there anything else that that um, primary teaching degree has brought to your speech pathology work? Um, Yeah, so I guess being a teacher means that I've spent a lot of time in the classroom. So I understand um, the daily demands of the classroom. And I also possess knowledge of the curriculum and also expertise in classroom management, which sometimes when a speech is thrown into a whole class environment can be quite daunting. Um, But because I've I was first trained in teaching. I am used to a lot of children at once. But I do get asked this question a lot. (laughs) And I always answer with if um, being, so having knowledge in speech pathology makes me a better teacher and having teaching knowledge makes me a better speech pathologist. So that's why I think there should be a combined degree. Mm, That is a great idea. It would be very attractive to many people, I think, definitely. Now, Natalie, I know that you are very connected to psychology and speech pathology. So can you just talk a little bit about that? So you're sort of doing um, PL and whatever you need for your registration in psychology as well as your speech pathology um, certified practicing status, I imagine. Can you talk us through what that looks like? Um, There's a lot of crossover. So obviously um, there's things that I can double up on. So anything to do with the neurodevelopmental practices obviously is relevant for both. Um, However, I think as a practice leader, we choose like a theme for our develop like for our development across the whole practice um, every year. And so I'm able to get the best of both worlds with that um, and just make sure, you know, following that theme and I think having that plan really helps because I'm the only psychologist in my practice, but I have a lot of speeches because obviously that's where I started. So I still get all of that exposure as well. Um, and there's, yeah, there's a in in the type of psychology and speech pathology I do. There is a lot of crossover. Mm-hmm. So, what about you, Felicity? Do you maintain your um, VIT registration? You have to laugh when the teachers complain about their yearly fee. Um, so <laughs> I am employed as both a speech pathologist and a teacher at the school. So that means I do have to keep up both licenses in in order to be employed. Um, but mainly the VIT one. Um, 
And I guess it is easy to keep that up, even though I'm essentially working as 99% as a speech pathologist at the school. Um, It's easy because they have in-house PDs and often the in-house PDs cross over from teaching and speech. Mm. They go towards both professions. Mm and I didn't realise that until I was audited in both professions. Oh, and not in the same year, I hope. <laughs> uh, actually, yes. Oh, school. no. And, um, yeah, and I was surprised to see that I easily, without kind of trying, I just do it, you know, on a daily basis, it was easy to reach those um, those goals. Mm. Yeah. What about music therapy, Robin? Um, what does that look? What does um, being a registered music therapist look like, and how do you maintain your registration in that? Yeah, so I guess um, so. For if you practice music therapy in Australia, you do have to be registered as part of the Australian Music Therapy Association, um, and within that, um, it's similar to Speech Pathology Australia in that um, you have a certain number of CPD points that you have to. Um, do each year and log them in a portal um, just to ensure that you're continuing your professional education. Um, so, yeah, it's it's something that I uphold in both areas. Yeah. Mm. Kate, what about you? Do you still maintain your registration in OT? Yes, I do. Um, I'm an APRA registered OT and OT has actually become a registered profession in, you know, the period of my career. So it wasn't always the case. Uh, You know, when I was an earlier career clinician, I really spoke very highly of SPAR as a professional organisation that gave us a lot of professional development, you know, short courses and things that I felt were really relevant. And I didn't find that to be the case with OT Australia so much. But after it became a registered profession, what happened is the registration sort of fell more under APRA and I found that OT Australia actually started, I guess, possibly focusing more of their um, resources on developing and offering courses. So OT Australia does offer a lot of support with that now. Although I will say, I guess in my career stage, probably a lot of the study that I do is with external things. And just as Natalie said, and Felicity as well, there's so much crossover between OT and speech pathology. And, you know, within my OT and speech team at work, we also do a lot of professional development together, as in 99% of it, um, because I just think that there's nothing more powerful than having, uh, you know, a speech pathologist who has a deeper understanding of sensory processing, motor (laughs) demands uh, and regulation, co-regulation, all of those things, and also uh, an OT who has a deeper understanding of communication and would be comfortable, for example, to work with an AAC device Um, I definitely, in the Facebook space, really participate in both sort of professional communities and I find myself, I think, probably more often speaking up in the OT groups to offer a bit of a speechy voice because I also think we can sometimes end up focusing really heavily on, you know, assuming that dysregulation and overwhelm is stemming from sensory processing differences, but then I'm always sitting there thinking, I wonder what this child's communication is like. I wonder what their access to, you know, AAC is because that for me 
would be really frustrating. Mm. I would be having a meltdown every day if I couldn't express my needs, thoughts and wants to someone. So just constantly encouraging both my own team, but speeches and OTs everywhere to keep collaborating, working together and learning from each other. Absolutely. Now, my final question before I have to very sadly finish up chatting to you all, because you are all very inspiring and it's making me tick through my head in regards to what I might like to be as a dual qualified person. But um, I'm going to hand it to you, Robin, if I can. And what I would really love is uh, maybe a couple of key tips um, that music therapists would really, really love speech pathologists to know. Um, I think it's that you don't have to be considered musical um, for someone to participate in music therapy. I think that's probably the biggest one um, because music is innate and within all of us. So whatever age um, or whatever goal, it can um, they can participate in music therapy. Um, and I also think that working collaboratively um, with, with other um, professions is really important just to find creative ways and modalities that can capture that person's true essence. Um, so if you don't have a music therapist on board, find one. <laughs> well said. What about you, Kate? What do OTs, what's their, you know, what would they love us to know if they could tell us anything? It is such a huge question. I actually stopped when I saw that one and thought, oh, oh my goodness, this is almost its own whole podcast series. How am I going to, what am I going to say? <laughs> uh, where I landed with is sort of reflecting perhaps on just a message, uh, which is something I touched on earlier as well, thinking um, maybe about your own identity. There's a real movement in the OT community at the moment amongst us as professionals um, about reflecting on our own identity and finding ourselves within OT. So maybe my suggestion is to think about finding yourself in speech pathology or bringing whatever else it is that you understand about yourself and view as your strengths and passions, bring that into your speech pathology uh, because that's what's going to unlock the best life for you. And when you show up authentically and with great well-being for your colleagues and for your clients, then you can offer them the same. If you aren't able to do that for yourself, then that's going to be a lot harder. So, yeah, just think about what it is about speech pathology and what lies within it and that could perhaps marry with some other special thing that is unique mm. to you. Oh, Awesome. What about you, Felicity? What would teachers absolutely love us to know? You've mentioned a couple of things already, but what, what do you think their key couple of points they would want speeches to know? Like Kate, I thought this was a big question. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it actually made me think about when I was just a teacher before I was trained as a speech pathologist. I thought back then and my impression of speech pathologists was a bit of a confused one back then. Um, so I used to have a speech pathologist visit my classroom maybe three times a year. And I think the manner in which she was delivering the advice was a bit condescending. So I think it's important as a speech pathologist to remember that teachers are professionals as well and they do have their own skill set and you have to respect that and of course they have the daily demands of the classroom so they might not be able to reach all of the goals um, that you're setting because they have 25 other children so I think it's important 
to think about it from their perspective and also um, to choose um, how you deliver those uh, that information. Um, and if you're using technical vocabulary like apraxia, um, I can remember a speech pathologist telling me that as a teacher and I had no idea what apraxia was. I just nodded and then didn't do anything about it because I was in my first year of teaching. There was a lot going on. So I think it's important sometimes to show them what it looks like in a classroom um, rather than just telling them the goals and the information. That's my advice. Awesome advice. Natalie, what about you? What do Sykes really want speeches to know? Oh, they probably really want speeches to know a lot of things. But um, (laughs) I suppose one of the things that I've reflected on them actually, you know, having a team of speeches um, who are amazing and also I've got a few students at the moment, I think there's a real importance of being a science practitioner and building a hypothesis around why you're doing what you're doing, you know, if some like, and not just in terms of the communication goal, but the whole child's presentation, you know, what is their story? What is their narrative? What are the things in their life that are impacting their presentation? Um, And how is their communication contributing to that? And just, I think what Kate has said, you know, looking at the little person or the young person holistically, um, and taking into all of those account all of those factors factors when building your hypothesis, um, as well as adding in your your assessment data, and then presenting that as a narrative for where the child's at. Um, whenever I talk about the the word hypothesis um, to speeches, they kind of go ah, oh. and then when I start talking about case formulation, they're like ah. Oh. So I think. Um, Using case formulation and hypotheses as a tool for planning um, is super important and everyone does it, but I think just formalising it or, you know, really intentionally doing it um, will help improve outcomes and also um, help you measure what you're trying to do. Fantastic. Well, thank you so, so much to all of you for giving up your precious time and wisdom today. It's just been so fascinating um, reflecting on that different lens that I think you all bring to our profession, which is unique, but so, so valuable. So thank you so much for joining me and chatting with me today. Thanks so much for having us. And thank you for having us all in your ears today. Be sure to join us again next Wednesday. Have a super week ahead. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Please be sure to subscribe or follow the podcast and share it with your colleagues. You can also visit us at speechpathologyaustralia.org.au. Thanks for listening and bye for now.